This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Kansas where we'll discuss a serial killer who stalked his victims before murdering them. Then we'll talk about a teen that killed her abuser. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Sunflower State. The case I'm going to tell you about today sounds like the beginning of a scary movie. Two women. A road trip. It's dark. There's no one around. You run into an issue with your car. You pull over. Someone stops to help you. As they get closer, you notice it's a man. A large man. It's almost 2 a.m. and there's not a soul in sight. Do you trust him? Sounds very familiar to nearly a dozen scenarios in those late-night slasher films you inevitably watched at sleepovers growing up. But this story isn't some fictional warning for young girls driving alone at night. This really happened. Before it's all over, there would be five deaths at the hand of this maniacal murderer. Early in the morning of December 13, 1974, on Interstate 70 near Ogallala, Kansas, Diane Lovett, age 21, and 19-year-old Cheryl Young are coming back from a road trip to Colorado where they were visiting Cheryl's dad. Cheryl's two-year-old son, Guy, is asleep in the back seat. One of their tires explodes. Well, technically, it was shot out by 24-year-old Francis Donald Nemechek. Nemechek was in the middle of a bitter custody battle with his ex-wife, And as he passed the women's car, something about Diane reminded him of his ex-wife. So he drives past the women, takes the next exit, and parks up on the next overpass. He gets out with his gun and takes aim at their car. As they are passing by, he shoots one of their tires out. It's 1974. There are no cell phones and nowhere to go for help, and they have a baby in the back seat. So the women get to the side of the road. They're obviously pretty shaken up. I mean, I've had a blowout, and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Thank God Max wasn't with me, and I have AAA, but it was still scary. They probably didn't know it was a shot. No, their tire just blew. Yeah. Yeah, their tire just blew. So Nemechek gets in his car and circles back around to the women, posing as a good Samaritan. How convenient. He forces the women and that two-year-old baby to get into his car at gunpoint. He takes them to an abandoned farmhouse about 12 miles outside Wakini, Texas. I probably mispronounced that. Sorry. So it's basically in the middle of nowhere. He makes both the women undress before he rapes Diane. Then he shoots both women with a shotgun. He leaves the scene, leaving two-year-old Guy to the elements where he eventually dies from exposure. Mm. This baby had on just a t-shirt and a pair of pants, 
no shoes, no coat, and his mother had just been murdered right in front of him. Oh my gosh. Their car was found the next day, but it would be nearly a month before the three bodies were found. Trappers who were out in the woods first found the little body of Guy, and the police were called, and when they responded, they are the ones that found the bodies of the two women in the abandoned house. So police started an investigation, but this is way before DNA and all the fiber matching that we all love with forensics. There are no fingerprints and obviously no witnesses. So the little boy died from exposure. Yeah. He wasn't he froze to death. I mean, that's basically murder. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awful. Horrible. <sighs> and he was found like several yards from the house. So he had got outside mm-hmm. and was kind of wandering around in the woods and died of hypothermia. Oh. I know. So one year later, there is another crime very similar. On January 1st, 1976, a family was driving on Interstate 70, and they encountered a man who was trying to engage them in a game of tag, if you will. The back and forth, he'd pass them and slow down, they'd pass him. Sounds like road rage, you know, one of those situations. The man was driving a truck. Mm -mm. He pulled over on an overpass and fires four times at the family's car. He hit a hubcap and the driver's side door. Another bullet hit the back driver's side door before it became lodged in the back seat. Let me tell you, road rage or someone fucking with me while I'm driving Mm -hmm. is one of the most terrifying things to me. If you try to act some type of way, I'm telling you now, towards me on the interstate, Mm -hmm. I will call 911. I don't even like when I'm with someone and they have road rage. No. It makes me nervous. I'm like... Just calm down. They might kill you. Or, or me. <laughs> right. You can't just flip anyone off or whatever. Or they hit your brakes. freaking follow you home. Tailgate yeah. someone. Mm-mm. I hate that. If you act, let me tell you. Yeah, if you start getting vengeful on the road, it's just no. nothing good comes from that. You can get in a wreck. It's awful. No. I mean, I am not the one or the two, especially if my child's in the car. Mm-mm. We're going to go ahead and get patched through through the highway patrol real quick, and I will tell on you, Mm -hmm. no, don't, I don't mess with that shit. But this time, the family does get a good look at the man in his truck, and two weeks later, Nemechek is arrested. Wow. He posts the $20,000 bond and was set free almost immediately. Investigators immediately suspected that he was the one that had killed Diane and Cheryl, mm-hmm. because the cases were so similar, but they had no way to prove it mm-hmm. and no way to stop the release of his bond. So his trial was scheduled for September of that same year, but before the trial could take place, two more women would die. Mm-hmm. 20-year-old Carla Baker was a pharmacy student at the University of Kansas and was home for summer break when she disappeared during a bike ride on June the 30th. Nemechek had stopped on the side of the road to relieve himself, and she rode her bike past him. He exposed himself like a fucking asshole. What a weirdo. And she allegedly made a comment scolding him like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I know I probably would say something. So he grabs her by her arm, 
jerks her off of her bike, forces her into his truck. He drives her to an isolated area at Cedar Bluff Reservoir where she fights him, kicking at him. Her father found her abandoned bicycle the next day. But like his first victims, it was almost a month before her body was found. Over a hundred people searched for Carla, including Nemechek. Mm. Due to decomposition, an autopsy was unable to determine her cause of death. Wow. Nemechek would later confess that he abducted Carla at knife point, raped and beat her before stabbing her to death. After Carla Baker's disappearance, 16-year-old cheerleader Paula Fabrizius vanished from her job as a park rangerette. Mm -mm. So Paula's job was to check visitor permits at Cedar Bluff Reservoir, where Carla's body was found a month earlier. Nemechek came by her station to get directions. She told him where the boat ramp was, where he was supposedly meeting a friend. Paula's co-worker went to get a Coke, and Paula asked him to bring some gum back. When he returned, she was gone. Nemechek had come back and asked her for a car permit, and when she got close enough, he grabbed her by her hair and pulled her into his vehicle. He would later say that she didn't fight him. She just begged him to let her go. After he raped her, he got his knife and stabbed her before throwing her and her clothing off of a cliff. Nemechek also joined the search party for Paula, just like he'd done for Carla. The next day, Paula's nude body was found by some motorcyclist about 30 miles away at the bottom of a bluff. She had been raped, mutilated, and stabbed through her heart. Investigators found a warranty card for a CB radio at the scene that had Nemechek's fingerprints all over it. So, he's arrested for homicide. He denies that he's guilty at first, but he eventually confesses to all five murders. Police search the camper on the back of his truck, and they find blood-soaked carpet and photos that he had taken of the victims. Nemechek had no history of sexual violence. He was raised in a respectable family. He played football in high school. He worked in a welding shop and was a hunter and a fisherman. Just a typical dude from small town USA. He liked to drink beer. There was no precursor to these murders. Was he married? He was divorced and was in the middle of a custody battle. Wow, he had a kid. Which is why he said the first victim, he (sighs) passed them on the road and she reminded him of his ex-wife and that threw him into the rage. And so that's what triggered him to perch on top of the overpass and like a sniper shoot their car out. I'm like, bullshit. Mm -mm, mm -mm. But I mean, he, he didn't show any signs of he didn't torture animals. He wasn't like the town asshole that everybody was like, well, that doesn't surprise me. He did plead insanity at his trial. Of course. Which was held in Salina, Kansas or Salina. The murders were committed in in four different counties across the state, but they had it in this one town. Hmm. And after a week of testimony, he was found guilty of first-degree murder on all five accounts. He denies 
even knowing that the baby was with the women. He said he never saw him. You knew that they had a baby with them. Well, when you pull them over and you see in the car. You make them get the baby out and bring the baby with them. You know the baby's with them. Yeah. So who or knows? you make the choice to walk away. Right. And be like, oh, well. So who knows if he was just playing that because he didn't want to be a baby killer yeah. in prison because. Yeah, that's very they, well possible. He would yeah. have been done those. <clears throat> so Kansas had no death penalty at the time. Wow. That's it, surprising. It wasn't reinstated until 1994. So Nemechek was given the harshest punishment by law, which was five life sentences to be served consecutively. He allegedly has found the Lord in prison and said he believes God meant for him to help all the other prisoners. And that's why he's there. Okay. Oh, boy. So in 2012, Nemechek was was featured in the book Beyond Cold Blood. Uh, the KBI from Ma Marker to BTK as one of Kansas's most infamous criminals. Nemechek was last denied parole in 2017. His next possibility is in 2027, and he will be 77 years old. And he's currently being held in the maximum security prison, the Lansing Correctional Facility. So. Mm. He's, he's surprised he's still alive. Yeah. I mean, just because I feel like a lot of times when we talk about killers from this time, they're dead already. Right. You know, they go to prison and something happens. Yeah. I mean, this is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine the fear that goes through no. someone's head after being kidnapped like these women or anybody. It doesn't Ugh. have to be a woman. I would probably be murdered immediately. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that because this mouth, I would. I In would, some situations, I would almost want to be killed immediately. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. The thought of a brutal rape or torture. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would pass out. I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. I mean, some of these survivors, like that show I survived mm-hmm. that have people on there that talk. They say that they remain very calm and they make themselves personable mm-hmm. by telling their captor things like, oh, I have a dog. His yeah. name is Boo Boo. Or my favorite song is such and such. And maybe. That would be so hard, though. Was, you know, yeah. in the moment when you're terrified, it's just that would be so hard. Uh, maybe that does help um, to see them as a real person. And maybe that's probably some of them, but some, some are them. just freaking sociopaths. Well, I was going to say, I'm not saying anything about these women right, in right. this particular case, because you had the one who did everything. Yeah. She cooperated and she, you know, was begging for her life. And then you have another one who fought. Well, he killed them both. So yeah. it didn't Sometimes make a shit. It, yeah. He was just a monster and nothing would have changed mm-hmm. his mindset. But anyways, Wow. I feel like I say this every week. I have never heard of that one. <laughs> I haven't either. Or maybe I have and I've just forgotten it, but I don't think it's on many podcasts. So. I was when I was doing research because I feel like we say this every episode too. When we do our research, you know, we do look to see what other podcasts have covered it, what information they have versus like Murderpedia or um mm-hmm. all these other and, and then we find stuff on what's the one 
that someone sent us a link to when we were doing Kleshendra's case. We've gotten several so far. I don't know. But they're all different is my point. Right, right, like right. the information is so different that you try to – Every source is different. Yes, yeah. See where, you know, where it's coming from mm-hmm. or, you know, all the things. And there was only one other podcast that covered this and it was like 10 minutes long. It just kind of yeah. three by five did. So I used mainly – some shit crime. Crime, crime something. Crime something. And then uh, Murderpedia is mm-hmm. always my go-to. Yeah. I did listen to the podcast. Um, I like I Murderpedia been, because it has all of the articles yes, that all have of been the articles. written. Like, and you can click on easy. the links. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, what's your case about? Oh, let's take a quick break first. Sometimes it's hard to tell who the real villain of a story is. It's human nature to have faults and imperfections. Of course, some people have more than others, and some people's true intentions are hard to decipher. The case I'm about to tell you about blurs the lines between victims and villains. No one in the story is innocent, and you may end up picking a side. For this one, I'm not sure that there's one clear right answer. You'll have to decide for yourself. Harold Sasko, who went by Hal, was originally from Florida but he ended up moving to Kansas with his family during the 1990s. He lived in Lawrence, Kansas, and owned three pizza restaurants there. Little Cece's, to be exact. It's a Little Cece's. I've only been there once. I've been I didn't to like Cece's, it. but I didn't know it was Little Cece's. Oh, my bad. Cece's Pizza. I Did like, I say a Little Cece's? I think Cece's. I meant to say Little Caesars and Cece's, but it's no. I'm sorry. It's Cece's Pizza. <laughs> it's not little. Anyway. In 2012, Hal took in a roommate. He met a girl named Sarah Gonzalez McLean three years prior when she worked at his CeCe's Pizza branch in Topeka. And he kept in touch when she moved on to other jobs. At this time, Hal was 50 years old and Sarah was 17 years old. Yeah, if you're doing the math, Al Pacino shit. He met her when she was 14 and kept in touch with her. Mm -mm. Red flag. Hal knew that Sarah was having issues with her parents, which isn't that unusual for teens. She graduated a year early from Topeka High School and moved in with Hal. She thought of him as a father figure at the time. Sarah was young, but she already had a lot of trauma. At the age of 16, she was violently raped by a neighbor who left her with scars from cigarette burns. Oh my god. Yeah, after this, she had attempted suicide and was diagnosed with PTSD and depression. Of course. I can't even imagine. Hal assured her, though, that he would help take care of her. She did pay him rent and she bought her own food. But Hal made sure to give Sarah unlimited access to alcohol, weed, cocaine, and ecstasy. What Mm. a good father figure. Mm -mm. In January 2014, Hal's family was worried when they couldn't get a hold of him. After a few days of not hearing from him, they asked for a welfare check. When the police arrived at Hal's home, they found him on the floor with blood everywhere. His hands were zip-tied together, so were his feet. His throat was slit. The cut was so deep he was nearly decapitated. Oh my gosh. And on the wall, the word freedom was written using Hal's blood. Beer cans were also near him, and a tox report later confirmed that sleeping pills were put in the cans before he consumed them. 
Hal's car was missing and Sarah was nowhere to be seen. And at this point, she had been living there for more than a year. And in the beginning, police wondered if Sarah had been kidnapped until they found out she had his car. On January 25th, 2014, Sarah was found at the Everglades National Park in Florida. She was sleeping in the car. She had guns, knives, and hash in the car with her. So it's not looking good for Sarah. No. So they took her back to the station, and Sarah just immediately confessed to murdering Hal. At first, she told them she did it just because she wanted to know how it felt to kill someone. She also said that she made the decision to kill him five days prior to when it happened. So it was premeditated, well, basically. obviously, but it's and like... And she's admitting to that. How do you... Put- On the morning of January 14th, Hal texted Sarah to apologize for trying to sleep with her again. Yeah. What? There's more to this. Yeah. But at 5.15 that night, he sent her a text asking her to put beer in the refrigerator. She knew if he was drinking, she would be raped. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. She admitted that she added crushed sleeping pills to his beer after he passed out. Then she bound his wrists and ankles and used a hunting knife to stab him in the neck shortly after midnight. So she knocked him out? First, yeah. And then stabbed the him. Mm-hmm. Then she took a shower, packed her things, and took off in Hal's car. She said at first she was going to head to Texas, but she changed her mind and went to Florida because she wanted to see the ocean before she was arrested. God. When the trial rolled around, it was revealed that there was a lot more to the story. According to Sarah, after about six months of living together, Hal told Sarah that he loved her. She said she shut it down, but he continued to make unwanted advances. Eventually, he demanded sex as a condition for staying with him. He said he would kick her out if she didn't. So, she said after she was really drunk, she did. And after that, they would have sex once or twice a week. Damn. Yeah. She also said that Hal would begin to take her paychecks from her. He would tell her she owed money for gas, her phone, car expenses, and everything else, so he would just take it straight from her. He threatened to sue her if she left and told her he would wreck her credit ratings so she could never get in an apartment or buy a car. Family and friends later told police that Hal bragged about how amazing it was to have an 18-year-old but he would constantly tell Sarah she wasn't attractive enough. Mm-mm. Yeah, and you should see this dude. Hal told Sarah no man would find her attractive because her breasts and butt weren't big enough, so he was trying to convince her to get surgeries done. She said at first she resisted, but she broke down in 2013 and had her butt done. He also paid for her to get a nose job, but the thing is, he paid for it, but he was adding it to a bill of things she owed him she eventually. Owed him. So he added the $6,000 cost to the bill. And so it ended up being ten grand. And he said, you have to pay me this before you can stop having sex with me. Ten grand, and her last paycheck from Bed Bath & Beyond was 265 bucks. if that tells you anything. so I mean, was he deducting money no. from it each time that no. she had sex with him? Nope. Because she owed expenses for other things. So it was kind of like she was never going to be able to pay him off. Yeah. 
And he was the one insisting she get the surgeries too. So, ugh. Sarah later told a psychologist that she would drink herself into a semi-conscious state when Hal required sex. If she tried to resist, he held her arms down. She said I would get as drunk as I could and just lay there. So sad. So sad. By late December of 2013, Sarah felt like she had broken from reality, and she was searching Google for phrases like, Why do I think so differently? She texted her sister, I feel like a caged animal right now and it's making me crazy. So Kimberly Qualls was dating Hal when he first asked Sarah to move in with him in 2012. Kimberly said she never suspected anything sexual between the two. What grown man that's not related to a girl has a 17-year-old? No. No. Absolutely. She also confirmed the stepdad ruse. So basically he would tell people that he was her stepdad out in public so that they didn't think he anything was weird. And she said it was even a discussion they had when she was dating him. So they were dating him and he's like, oh, this is my stepdaughter, blah, blah, blah. And even after they broke up, she never thought anything sexual was going on between them. Kimberly said, quote, he did that with other attractive young women, too. He would go to their graduations, their birthdays. He was a friend, and there was no, trust me, I would have seen if there was anything going on. Obviously in denial. He was doing stuff with these other girls. Quick animal abuse alert. Skip ahead 15 seconds or so. A nephew of Hal's visited his home a month or two before the murder and found a skinned rabbit in a bowl in the refrigerator. Well, like they were going to eat it? Well, yeah, but Sarah bought the rabbit at a local pet store, (gasps) killed it, and skinned it, and she said that she did this to learn how to self-survive. And it was in the refrigerator because she was marinating it because they planned to cook it and eat it the next day. The nephew was, he was freaked out. He said, this is super strange. What the heck? A psychologist who spent 17.5 hours evaluating Sarah said that she suffered from a number of serious mental illnesses. Sharon Sullivan, a Washburn University professor and expert on human trafficking, said, It's important to understand the neurological impact of sexual abuse. Survival brain takes over, and the part of the brain that controls decision-making goes offline. Sharon said her brain wasn't even fully developed. She was trapped. She didn't know there were options. At Sarah's trial, the proceedings were centered on her ability to form an intent to kill. The defense's expert witness testified that Sarah had dissociative identity disorder and that it was one of her other personalities that was responsible for Hal's murder. Defense attorney Carl Cornwell tried to convince jurors that Sarah was too mentally unstable to understand her actions. She did make the mistake of telling police, though, I planned this five days in advance, so, I mean... She should have said lawyer when she got in that room, basically. For sure. Not that I'm defending murder, but for anyone, (laughs) like, say lawyer. Don't tell them you're planning it. Hello. The jury rejected his arguments, which emphasized the system of Sarah, a reference to her multiple personalities. 
prosecutors said she was exaggerating symptoms of mental illness. During the investigation, police searched Hal's phone and computer and discovered that he had downloaded hundreds of videos of violent pornography on his phone. No. And visited X-rated websites that featured children. No. Teens. No. And bestiality. Oh, no. This guy was not good. No. At least 20 times he visited websites that featured men fondling or having sex with women who appeared to be sleeping. (sighs) No. Yeah. This was his, ugh. Confidential police reports revealed Hal was grooming 16-year-old twin girls before his death. So their mother was furious at the attention and gifts he would provide them, including cash, gas, clothes, subwoofers for their car, and he would give them marijuana. Not subwoofers. <laughs> right? And then the mother blocked the number, his number on their phone, so he bought them each phone's secret phones. And he told, He's a dirty dog. He is dirty, and he would say, if you ever want to run away, you can live with me. So he's basically pitting them against their mom, and oh, it's so sick. Megan Stuck, the executive director of The Willow, a domestic violence center in Lawrence, said the concepts of grooming and human trafficking are frequently misunderstood. She said, somebody gets you into a relationship, provides you with creature comforts, or covers your needs so that you don't have any other options but to do what they want, to maintain your housing, finance, maybe it's an addiction that they've helped you create. People can be trafficked by their parents. People can be trafficked by their boyfriends. It's not necessarily the big ring of bad guys moving people around. That's something I've never thought of before. No, I haven't either. Like, that is kind of, I mean, that's true. Sarah was ultimately found guilty a first-degree premeditated murder with aggravating factors. In September 2015, she was sentenced to 50 years to life in prison. Sarah said after her sentencing, I'd like the chance to say I'm sorry to my family and Hal's too. I know you have every right to hate me for the rest of your lives, and I know I'm asking for a lot, but I hope that one day you'll find it in your hearts to forgive me. In May 2021, Sarah was resentenced to 25 years to life after it was deemed that she received ineffective counsel during her trial. As per prison records, Sarah remains incarcerated at Topeka Correctional Facility in Kansas, and the earliest she can get out of prison is 2039. Michelle Gonzalez, the mother of Sarah, wrote in response to an opinion piece in the Kansas Reflector, by Douglas County District Attorney Suzanne Valdez and Sarah's post-conviction counsel, Jonathan Sternberg. In their article, they defended their, quote, extraordinary settlement that reduced Sarah's hard 50 to a hard 25 to life. Michelle responded to this, sounds like a good deal, but I've been strongly advised that in the real world, there's little to no difference between a hard 50 and a hard 25 to life because so few inmates are paroled after 25 years. To imply that my daughter's sentence was cut in half is misleading. Sarah was convicted of first-degree murder. She's as likely to serve 50 years as she is to serve 25 years. She went on to write, My daughter killed Mr. Sasko in an especially brutal manner. 
Before leaving the scene, she used his blood to write freedom on the kitchen wall. This is not in dispute. The question is, why? What was going on in that house? During one of the hearings on whether Sarah's trial attorney had provided ineffective counsel, she testified under oath that Hal had been forcing himself on her several times a week for almost a year, and then she said again she had to be so drunk. She would not, he definitely wouldn't ask. It would just happen. And her mother said, I'm not an attorney, but I'm told this meets the legal definition of rape. And let's not forget that Hal Sasko was 33 years older than Sarah. That's insane. Especially when one of them's 17 and you've been talking to her since she was 14. He was probably doing the same to her grooming, like, you can live with me anytime. Uh Exact same thing. He'd taken her in with promises of a better life. He wanted the nature of their relationship kept secret. He told his employees that Sarah was his stepdaughter and he was in her phone under dad. In filing the ineffective counsel appeal, Sternberg argued that Hal had groomed Sarah and that she saw no way out of her situation, essentially sexual and financial slavery, unless she killed herself or removed Mr. Sasko. It's our belief that Sarah should have been awarded a new trial, they said, one in which jurors would be exposed to the realities of grooming and why battered women react the way they do. Unfortunately, the settlement wipes that slate clean. Valdez and Sternberg may find legal comfort in knowing that a young woman who killed her rapist will spend at least 25 years in prison. We do not. Since her incarceration, Sarah has said that in a weird way, being locked up was a relief. She took the time to think about what happened. She would write letters to God as a way of trying to process her shame. She trains Labradors and Golden Retrievers to be service dogs for an organization out of Washington, Kansas. The dogs have healed me in a way that I didn't even know I needed healing, she said. That's so sad. We have a pause in prison program throughout Arkansas, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. She said, if I could talk to the governor, I would tell them that I'm no longer the young girl who felt hopeless and didn't know what to do. I've dedicated every day since my incarceration to better myself, not only for myself, but for my family and the community. I will continue to make sure that everything that happened wasn't just for nothing. So I remember this because I saw a show a couple years ago. I think it was on Snapped or it could have been Fear Thy Roommate. There's episodes of both and I'll try to link it up if I find it. But I also use the Kansas Reflector, Cinemaholic, the Topeka Capital Journal, and KC Confidential Cinemaholic. as sources. That's They're what I best. was thinking of. I was thinking oh, Crom something. It was Crimeaholic. Cinemaholic. Yeah, no. Yeah. Woof. I'm going to have to look and see which episode. Yeah. It's kind of a sad one, one because yeah. murder is not okay, but damn. And they proved he was a creep. He was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've never... Luckily, been in a situation like that where I don't have to. I mean, she very well might have been under the mindset, I have no choice. She, right. If he's alive, my life will be a terrible. Lot of women who are in these situations feel that same way. Yeah. So, so I, I definitely have no place to say what was going through her mind. Sucks. Freaking creep. You know what else sucks? What? 
Tina Turner died. Oh, I know. I immediately text Jeremy, who's a friend of ours, because we were both obsessed with her. And we were planning a road mm. trip to go see the museum she has on the way to Nashville. It's in Brownsville, um, Tennessee. So it's like halfway to Nashville. Oh. It's like super small. It's the world's only Tina Turner museum, by the way. Is she from there? Well, she's from Nutbush. So this, Lacey is (laughs) not a Tina Turner fan. Where's Nutbush? She's in Tennessee. Anyway, small, small town. So we're going to take this road trip and go. That's cool. See this. And I've already started doing a little planning for the state of Tennessee, like I did Mississippi. Awesome. And my Louisiana trip. Because they have some cool-ass things I found today yeah. whenever I was just looking. But the Tina Turner Museum is the first stop. Do they not have signs for that? Or yeah. do I miss them? Because I've been to Nashville. Yes. Hmm. They have big signs up. Because when Tim and I were on our way to Nashville back in, mm-hmm. when did we go? February? March? Mm-hmm. February. Or, or beginning of March. We saw it and I threatened to stop and go. And he's like, you better not. <laughs> is he not a fan? I mean, he is, but he's like, no, we have to get there. I don't oh, want to stop at the yeah, Tina yeah, yeah. But there's a place in Pigeon Forge. I do know where that is. Called Alcatraz East. Yes. Did you go there? I've never been there, but yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's about. a museum of cool I've never been stuff. in Pigeon Forge. I've been near it, but never there. I've never there. either. But like that's they, way, way uh, east. They have the death caller from the pizza bomber. They have the clown suits from John Wayne Gacy. Ugh. They have OJ's Bronco. Really? In Pigeon Forge. That's random, right? They have a bunch of other shit. Looks really, really cool. I'm going to go there. Lots of weird shit. That reminds me that Samuel's aunt and uncle are in Vegas right now. And his aunt texted me, look where we're at. And it's the Zach Baggins Haunted I wanna, Museum. I don't even want to talk about it. You didn't want to go whenever No, was I did want to go. It was nobody just so else hard to, to find time. We, we had like a thousand things to do. And she said, just about to go in, I want to see all the serial killer stuff. Oh. And then she was like, this was hanging next to the towel dispenser in the women's bathroom. And this is pretty dark. It's like a crime scene of a woman cut up in the the bathroom, like one of those tiny oh. dollhouses. I'm like, that's freaking weird. What does that have to do with anything? I still kind of like you, though. They also, this happened sometime earlier this year, but his uncle called me, which he never calls me, and he was super excited. And he's like, guess what I just bought? And I'm like, what? And he's like, there was an, a sale of a lot of things at the Crescent Hotel, and I bought one of the big cast iron clawfoot tubs from the Crescent what? Hotel. So he's like, so I have a haunted tub. That is really- They love scary stuff. That's really cool. I haven't asked if anything spooky's happened in the tub yet. I don't know if they've hooked it up yet, but he was so excited about having this Crescent Hotel. <laughs> That's- Did you- I tagged you in that thing on Facebook. They were having their yeah, Murder Mystery Weekend. Yeah. Did you go and look at it? Yeah, I did. I've never been during that. I haven't either, and I probably won't go this year because it's like $500 a person. Holy crap. Yes. Okay, everything- Per person. halloween in Eureka is a fortune. This is the first weekend in August. That's insane. This is not even Halloween adjacent. If you want to stay at the Crescent anytime near Halloween, it's- Bananas. It's so expensive. There's no freaking way. Mm-hmm. I would never. I'm like, okay- Let's be real, first of all. $499 a person. And the rooms, I've stayed there. I've stayed They're there. They're not that nice. They're not. They're not up that updated. They're nope. 
No, they're not. It's And their pizza place that they have there is good, but it closes mm-hmm. at like 10. I'm like, now what am I supposed to eat? It does close too early. Mm-hmm. Which is the bar too. The bar is closed too early too. I remember that from last time. Anyway, speaking of trips, <laughs> Lacey's going on a super fun, cool yeah, trip. Yeah, I'm about to go. I don't know if there's any. I'm sure there are haunted, spooky things. I was just about to ask. But I haven't even looked up a, a damn thing about anything. So tell us where you're going. So I was like, tomorrow, Friday, we're flying to Barcelona, and then we are getting on a cruise ship the next day to do a Mediterranean cruise. We're going to bebop to Cannes, France. Then we're going to go, I don't know the order, Florence and Pisa, Mm -hmm. and then Naples, Mm -hmm. and then Rome. But it's like during the day, we only get a day, so it's no nightlife, and then we're going to Go down above Africa, pop back up to Ibiza and Palma, and back to Barcelona. So that's going to be amazing. I hope so. It's a long cruise, nine days on the on. Well, I mean, but we're like literally every day stopping somewhere, which You're, is exhausting. I've never had a vacation like that. Me either. And I'm like, because oh. usually that you're many days. on the sea several days, yeah, and you rest and relax. But it's like every day, six a.m. the the boat ports mm-hmm. and you're off to you're gonna be exhausted oh sleeping. my god i'm gonna be going to bed at seven every night i'm gonna be doing nothing on the cruise ship you're gonna have the best time now. i'm nervous because i don't speak any of those languages and it's not even spanish apparently in some of those places it's catalan i don't know i've never heard of it i don't know <laughs> i'm gonna try to learn some like basic phrases print some stuff off but i also i can I don't teach know. you some basic italian phrases i know <laughs> Ciao. Um, well, that's very exciting. I'm over here trying to go to Pigeon Forge and you're going to fucking Ibiza. Well, I've never, ever, ever gone overseas. So never? Never. Mm-mm. Oh, this is the first. This is my the first time Samuel's gone to Europe and gone so to- So you're, you're flying into Ireland, correct? We are flying from here, Little Rock, to Charlotte. We have a 30-minute Layover. Girl. I'm so. We're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss it. I'm. I'm no bad panicked. juju. You're gonna make it. But that I'm is. Panicked. I hate a. I hate a layover like that because you're like, well, if anything happens if with anything the door, happens, we're fucked. If it, I'll have to. Oh, you're gonna. You're gonna I be home alone. It layover. Then from Charlotte, we go to Dublin. I'm surprised that Charlotte has a flight that's international. Their airport's not that big. It's pretty big. It doesn't look like it's big. I mean, I've, I've flown, flown out of there a I've lot. I've flown but. out of there and in there multiple times, and it just didn't seem like. I mean, it's bigger than Little Rock, mm-hmm. but it's not Atlanta. No. So yeah, they they have some. Well, I think even Raleigh has some that go direct to really? Paris and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's on the coast basically. So yeah, yeah. So we're going. Well, that's that's awesome. In Dublin to Barcelona, which it's going to be eight hours just over the ocean itself. In total, it's like fifteen hours in a plane. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm panicked. I'm starving already. You're going to have the best time. I hope so. How long is the flight from Dublin to Barcelona? A couple of hours, I think. That's not bad. It's like the flying over the ocean is what I'm freaked out about. It'll be night. You'll be asleep. I'll be like, (sighs) you'll be asleep. And people are like, you have a higher chance of survival. And I'm like, uh. Do I would you? rather crash and burn immediately than slowly drown in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm just saying. 
mean? Don't, I'm not going to survive. Don't give me a break. Universe. I'm not surviving a plane don't crash. Put that in the universe. <laughs> I've she already done it. it. No, it's she like act, it. it's like acting, saying break a leg. You say, Lacey Danielle. Oh, anyway, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh God, I'm cutting you off yeah. because now you're just spiraling. Where are we next week? Arizona. Okay, I got to get her off here. Goodbye, y'all. <laughs> Bye.